Our psalms during Advent have spoken of restoration, a very appropriate topic for the season. But each psalm has addressed a different situation. Psalm 80 was a lament spoken as the Assyrian army approached the northern kingdom. Restore us, O Lord, was his cry. Psalm 85 came up from a time of drought. Restore us again, O God, as you've done before. This week, it's not a plea, but a celebration. A celebration of restoration. Very different tone to the psalm. We'll look again at its setting and basic message. Then in the second part, we'll see how their celebration is ours too, but on a more profound level. And thirdly, then talk about how others have reason to celebrate with us as well. So first of all, the setting and message. Psalm 126 is one of the Psalm of Ascents. Psalm 120 to 134 all bear that label in the book of Psalms. While there's a lot of speculation about exactly in what context they were written, most scholars think it had to do with the building of the temple, and subsequently these psalms were used as sort of travel songs as one was going up to Jerusalem. So, for example, when Jesus and his followers came from Galilee to Jerusalem for Passover, they didn't turn on the radio and listen to the Beach Boys. They sang the Psalm of Ascents. It's that type of thing. It's a hymn of thanksgiving, a celebration. It's set in poetry. And to get the sense of how the psalm works, I need to talk a little bit about Hebrew poetry, which is very different from the poetry you and I know. Our poetry is based on meter and rhyme, right? Twas the night before Christmas, and all through the house not a creature was stirring, not even a... They rhyme, okay? That's not how Hebrew poetry works. Hebrew poetry is about parallelism. A stanza will typically have two lines. The first line will make a statement, and the second line will parallel it, either reinforcing it or doing something with it. But that sort of parallelism exists there. So it's very common as you go through the Psalms to have these sort of two lines of parallel, two lines of parallel, two lines of parallel. But the parallelism also occurs in the structure of the psalm. The opening stanza will typically be echoed by the closing stanza. And the stanzas that are in the middle talk about the same thing. And so, so to tell you, this is the middle of the thought. Well, we have a beautiful stanza combination in verses 1 to 5 of Psalm 126. So as I was working on this, I confess I did my own translation, and it's a little different from the ESV. So let me read you my translation. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like the sands of the sea. Then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with shouts of joy. Then they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us. We are glad 
You restored our fortunes, O Lord, and we became like the watercourses of the Negev. There are two major thrusts to this little five-verse piece of the psalm. One is restoration, and that's at the beginning and at the end. The first call of restoration, the opening stanza, says God has restored our fortunes, and we have become like the sands of the sea. Now, do you recognize that little phrase, like the sands of the sea? It comes from the promise that God gave to Abraham that his offspring would be like the sands of the sea. God has restored our fortunes, and we have become like the sands of the sea is, in effect, a way of saying God has kept his promises. God has restored our fortunes. At the end, God has restored our fortunes is repeated, and we have become like watercourses in the Negev. Now, Negev is one of the desert regions of the Holy Land. This one is down in the south. It's a hard surface desert, not a sandy desert. And so when the rare rains come, and they are rare in the Negev, they don't soak in. There isn't much topsoil. Rather, they flow together into the watercourses where there's a little bit of soil and flow. And for just a few days after that flow, like the watercourses in the Negev, they're blooming in a spectacular way. It, of course, all withers very quickly, but it's absolutely beautiful when it happens. God has restored our fortunes like the watercourses in the Negev hints at God's restoring of creation, making all things new again. So two types of restoration are celebrated. God has restored us. He has kept his promises. God has restored us and is making all things new. But there is also recognition that occurs because after the restoration in the middle, the nations recognize, oh, I see these people and how they're celebrating. God has indeed restored them. God has indeed made, done great things among them. And that gets repeated, yes, the Lord has done great things for us and we are glad. The joys of those whose fortunes have been restored is not kept secret. It impacts other people. And that impact reflects back on those whose fortunes are restored. The Lord has done great things for us, and we are glad. The psalm celebrates that God has restored the fortunes of his people by keeping the promises to Abraham, and God will make all things new someday. But the psalm also states that the nations notice and recognize the, the favor of the Lord in the celebration of the people and how they react to it. Their celebration is ours too. God has restored our fortunes also. Not only has God fulfilled the promise to Abraham to make a people like the sands of the sea, there was a second promise that God gave to Abraham that in his seed, 
all the families of the earth would be blessed. And it is the coming of that very fulfillment that we are celebrating now at Christmas. The coming of Jesus would start the process of setting everything aright again. Paul compares the coming of Jesus to a new creation. The old is past, the new has come. Indeed, the Lord has done great things for us. He has restored our fortunes in Jesus. To which the psalmist adds, our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with shouts of joy. Now, we talk about a lot of weighty topics in church, but we can do so in a joyous context. That's what this psalm is hinting at. Like a child caught in the wonder of a Christmas tree all lit up. Or a child on Christmas morning seeing the field of packages filling the living room. Joy and laughter are characteristics of the Christian hope. Perhaps that's why we resonate so well to Christmas season. But I would maintain there was no greater joy than that of the women and Mary who raced to the disciples with the news, Christ is risen, he is risen indeed. In Jesus, that Advent hymn comes true. Our gladness will know no end. The song of the psalmist filled the faithful with hope as they approached Jerusalem. But imagine our joy when we see the holy city Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from above as a bride adorned for her husband at the return of Jesus. In a most profound way, the celebration of the psalmist is ours too. But I would point out something about the laughter to which the psalmist refers. Laughter and joy are by their nature something to be shared, recognition by others' followers. I mean, you can laugh by yourself, right? But it's so much fun to laugh with others, isn't it? A comedy at mo- movie at home on the TV might get a smirk or something like that, but the reaction is raucous in a theater, isn't it? Reading jokes is not the same as hearing jokes told by someone else, even dad jokes. And with that recognition by others, that's where the opportunity comes, to assure others that they have reason to celebrate with us. This is the third part. The final two verses of the psalm teach a simple point. Those who sow in tears will reap with shouts of joy. And the psalmist expands on the metaphor. Those who go out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, carrying their sheaves. You see, planting, sowing in antiquity was a very risky thing. You were taking the last of the grains that you would have and casting them on the ground. Nothing left to eat unless a crop grew. There was a fear involved in planting because growth was so uncertain. The God who kept the promise to Abraham 
offers that same blessing to everyone. The God who created all things and is making all things new desires all people to be part of his new creation. But God sent Jesus among us as God's agent. Our response is simply to sing. And what do we sing? Joy to the world. The Lord has come. But when the carols fade and the trees are set out for the garbage collector, what then? Will joy and laughter still fill the hearts of our neighbors and friends? Or will the tears return? The psalmist expects joy. In fact, he talks about shouts of joy twice. And here's our opportunity to bring not only light to darkness, but lightness as well. I mean, joy is infectious. Whining is a downer. The text, this celebration, asks, how might you bring joy to someone in a dark place? Because joy is noticed. One of the best ways to invite people to the celebration is to be one who celebrates. Psalm 126 celebrates. The Lord has restored the fortunes of Zion. Let us rejoice and be glad, for such joy invites and infects others. It's 6 o'clock in the morning in Hamilton, Bermuda. 92-year-old Johnny Barnes stands on the edge of a roundabout and waves at people as they drive past. He's been there since 4 a.m. and he'll be there until about 10 o'clock. He's not asking for money or begging for food. He's not protesting or complaining or picketing or loitering. He's making people happy. He wears a straw hat. He's got a salty beard. The ears have bent his back a little bit and slowed his step. They haven't siphoned away his joy. He waves with both hands extended, like with his wrists going side to side, like he's adjusting the dials on something. He blows a kiss in the direction of a taxi driver or a commuter. I love you, he shouts. I love you forever. And they love him. Bermudans call him Mr. Happy Man. They route their morning commute to see him. One morning, a cranky woman was determined not to make eye contact with him. But she ended up looking his way. He smiled. She smiled. Another sour attitude hit the dust. Wouldn't she love to meet a person like him? Wouldn't she love to be a person like him? You can be. God has restored our fortunes by sending Jesus. And Christmas can put a smile on anyone's face. After two psalms pleading for restoration, we conclude Advent with a celebration. We celebrate because God has kept God's promises. We celebrate because God is making all things new. And our celebration is recognized by others. And that's the missional opportunity for us. Takeaways? We do have reason to celebrate. People will notice our celebration. And we can invite them to join the party. 
In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.